I'm Bailey. And I'm Charles. And you're listening to Hold Me, I'm Scared. Welcome back to Hold Me, I'm Scared, where once a week we pick out one fear and explore it. Today we're talking about the fear of the ocean. Um, To start us off, I have some facts and figures. Um, So the name of the phobia of the ocean is thalassophobia. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And and according to Healthline.com, symptoms of thalassophobia um, include when you think of the ocean, you might experience agitation or restlessness, especially in like your daily life, um, worrying about the ocean more so than usual. It may affect your ability to fall asleep and stay asleep, um, and it could cause panic and anxiety attacks. There are a variety of reasons that someone may develop this phobia of the ocean. Um, One of these reasons might be that they've had a trauma associated with the the ocean, such as witnessing a shark attack um, or a boating accident, um, which is called an experiential phobia. Um, Also, there could be a genetic factor involved in the fear of the ocean. Apparently, if you have a relative that has a fear of the ocean, that increases your risk of developing the lassophobia. Um, Also, environmental factors like hearing of traumatic events like drownings um, on the news can cause fear. And then developmental factors. So if you have a traumatic experience at a young age that involves the ocean or you hear of something scary that involves the ocean, um, when the fear response area of your brain isn't developed fully or properly, um, it makes it easier for this phobia to develop. Now, uh, we have only explored and charted about 5% of the ocean, so 95% remains unexplored. We don't know what's there. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. The ocean is about 12,100 feet deep at average depth, and it becomes pitch black as you go deeper. So past 3,280 feet, there is no light. So there's just like this vast expanse that is just dark and we have no idea what's there. I think that's a big reason why people would be afraid of the ocean. Uh, well, here's what I want to know, really mainly. How do you feel about the ocean? What's your relationship to the ocean? So I really like water. I love swimming. Um, and my I have a good portion of my family that lives in Florida. So I've been in the ocean quite a few times. I've had, I've like seen sharks in person. I've had them swim right next to me. Um, I, I don't mind the ocean. I'm not really that scared of it. However, like I don't fuck with it. Like I don't want to go to the places that we haven't explored. I don't like the idea that we just have no idea what's like Mm. out there. Uh, and I don't really want to know. I think whatever ancient horrors are lurking in the parts of the ocean that we have not seen should just be left alone. What about you? How do you feel about the ocean? Uh, Okay, look, I love the idea of the waves, the water, the sound. I mean, I listen to the white noise of an ocean to fall asleep. It's very calming. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. However, if you recall, when you and I were in Japan, and that was my first time to actually swim in the ocean, I didn't know 
that I was going to be so afraid because I I was excited to see it, right? I was like, this is the Pacific Ocean. I'm stepping in. And then I realized it's a little murky. I couldn't exactly see what was below me. Things were touching me. I couldn't tell if it was trash, seaweed, fish, other people, you. I. So then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm actually like low-key afraid of the ocean. And I don't want to be, but... Yeah, you are. You're scared of the ocean. Yeah, you are. You're scared. <laughs> you were um, afraid. I was. And I, I think it's a valid reason to be afraid, but I don't want to be. And I think yeah. the horrors that happen in oceans are pretty rare. I mean, I know I know they happen. I know they're it's way less than people just having good experiences. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people have good experiences in the ocean. Right. Yeah, you're more likely to have a fun day at the beach than to experience a tsunami or a shark attack or you know, anything like that. But it makes sense. But we're not going to talk about the fun times today. <laughs> no. You guys don't get fun times about the ocean. You get the not on this scary, podcast. the sad, the wild. My story's uh, pretty crazy. I am excited for your story. But guess what? You went first last time. So now I get to go first this time. Alrighty, I'm going to sit back and relax and enjoy you terrifying yeah, so listen to me. the sounds of the ocean. Here you go. <laughs> is that a seagull? Mm-hmm. And this is the dolphin. Okay. Oh. Oh, no, I think you should give it... Try it one more time. No. <laughs> I'm not very good at dolphin. Can you try, try, try me a dolphin. I cannot do a dolphin. Please. I need this. I really don't think I can do it. This is like giving me flashbacks to getting my BA in acting when they'd make us pretend to be animals and I could never do the noises. <laughs> I feel a performance anxiety. Please do it. Do it. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. That's it. That's all I heard was just... That's all there is. That's what a dolphin sounds like. Oh my gosh. You wouldn't know. Hilarious. You're afraid of the ocean. Um, but I love dolphins. All right, so, so are you ready to start yes. us off? I'm, I'm ready. I didn't think that I was going to find... I didn't know what kind of story I was going to be looking for. Because there's so many things out the ocean to be afraid of. There's True. drowning, the storms, the animals. But I decided to go with, just to give you like a little bit of a preview, this guy named Chuck, okay, ends up crashing a plane... Well, he didn't crash the plane. The plane crashed. And he looks a lot like Tom Hanks. He has a, um, a volleyball named Wilson. And there's a whole true documentary <laughs> called Castaway, which was released in December of 2000. You're doing the story of Castaway? No. I was like, I don't think that was I just based on to, a real story. I wanted to see your reaction. So, no, for real, though, I did take a page from your book because I am now using... <laughs> A story that I found from a television show called I Shouldn't Be Alive. Um, my story is also from I Shouldn't Be Alive. Wait, who's it about? I, I told you what my story was. Yeah, but I don't. mine's not that one. Mine's about one dude. Okay, then we're fine. Ooh. This episode is brought to you by I Shouldn't Be Alive. So 
Will Slattery and his three friends are skydiving off the coast of Costa Rica. <laughs> That's plain to say. Off the coast of Costa Rica. They're going skydiving. They've been skydiving for a while, so they're they're not worried about the skydiving. They're pros. They know how it goes. Everything's great, right? They take off. Um, See, that's something I'm afraid of. I don't think I could ever go skydiving. Oh, I want to. I want to. I don't want to, but I want to. I don't think I ever could. I would I would wait for you on the ground with snacks. Well, at least the first time you go, somebody else goes with you and they're strapped to you. That also scares me. I really don't like the idea of being strapped to a stranger either. I like the idea of being strapped to a stranger. Ew. Call me. Um, so they take off well no before they take off the lady who is like their correspondent their ground correspondent is like hey you guys are gonna have a great time see you later and they're like yeah woo!" so they take off and it's all sunny everything's fine until they realize that there is a lot of what they call whiteout which is where when you're in a plane and you're up in the clouds you're two in the clouds and everything is just white around you so it's very disorienting so mm-hmm. it's a rule of thumb to not skydive through clouds because you can become very lost very disoriented and you and your target is it, they always look so tiny like where you're supposed to land always seems like such a small area mm-hmm. to me which just so you know there are some videos out there called what like what should you do if you your parachute doesn't open yeah i'm not gonna go into that but you're not you're just gonna tell me that there that information is available but you're not gonna tell me what i should do if my parachute well doesn't open? here i'll give you the i'll give you the short version basically head for a roof or some trees not water because you will hit the surface tension is too great you'll smack onto it like concrete and you'll just die instantly assuming that you have the best chances of living you want to head for some trees or a roof and you want to try to land feet first because even though your legs will probably shatter and you'll probably never walk again lol at least your head will be good assuming you even want to live at this point then you just gotta try to pull yourself to somebody who can help you out that was bleak yeah well, you're falling about 100 miles through the sky towards the ground. It's going to be a little bleak, Bailey. Maybe a giant bird will swoop down and, and pick me up and carry me to its nest and and feed me Like from Lord its of mouth. the Rings. Oh, you haven't seen Lord of the Rings. No. Basically, there's some eagles at some point. They're giant. Sometimes they save people. Sometimes they don't. They don't owe anyone anything. So there's Whiteout. Right? We see all these clouds everywhere, very just disorienting. And so they're like, you know what? It's not going to work. Turns out it's a little bit cloudier than we thought it was going to be. Let's just go ahead and turn back. You know, we've skydove, skydiven, skydive. We've done this <laughs> quite a few times. <laughs> and it's just, you know, not worth it. So let's just turn back. So. They do, but the weather starts to pick up a little, and the wind begins to get a little stronger, and, you know, this ties in with our episode one, please go and listen, the plane begins to crash, 
So, no. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know what? We got to get out of this plane. We've got our parachutes, whatever. So they try to open the door. That takes them about four times. They finally open it and they just all like shove themselves out. And once again, they're up in the clouds. So they're really not sure what's going on or where they are. All four friends jump out. And Will realizes he's moving so fast that his emergency parachute lets itself out. I guess if you if you're going a certain uh, like speed, then your emergency okay. parachute will come out anyway. Is what I've been is what I picked up from that. Um, so he sees his friends off in the distance and. He's kind of, like, calling out to them, and one of his, like, really, really close friends he sees is just kind of hanging limp in the air. Oh, no. And he's like, maybe he got hit by the plane, I guess, or maybe he's, you know, I'm not sure what's really happening. So he doesn't know where they land, but he uh, is getting closer and closer to the ocean because they're just over the ocean at this point, and... He crashes into the water, and his first immediate thought is, I have to get this parachute off, this gear off, or else it's going to sink me down. Um, right. I'm, he's just, like, stripping off clothes. He's stripping off his shoes and his shirt. Why the shirt? I don't know. Maybe that's important. And kicks off his shoes, because I guess it's easier to swim without shoes. Yeah. Um, well, also, they're heavy. That's true. Like, your shoes true. get a bunch of water, and then it's going to be, like, dragging two bricks behind you he's really at this point he sees the plane off sinking nobody else is around and he's like in the middle of the ocean like the no land around and he's like i guess i'm just gonna die so he's pretty ready to go and he's i think bleeding in some places and he was saying i at this point was just like calling out for the sharks and being like, you know what? Just come on. It's going to be a lot quicker if you come and eat me. <laughs> Just like, let's get this over with. See, I relate to this because that would be me. I'd, <laughs> I'd like look out and see that I was just surrounded by ocean. And I'd be like, mm, this is beyond my capability to make he it through this. gives up. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, sharks, come on. Ooh, I'm so tasty. <laughs> Yummy. Yeah. So he's like, look, I don't want to live. But something just kind of switches in his brain. He decides, you know what? Maybe I do kind of want to give this a fighting chance. And he says this calm came over him. And he knew that panic would be the thing that would kill him the quickest. So he starts to just float on his back. And then he said this quote, which I think is, I I don't know, it just, it rung with me very well. He said, there's something very pure about the action of trying to live and saying whatever happens, happens, but I'm going to do my best to try. Hmm. And I think that is very encouraging. Just, you know, even in some of the worst circumstances, like a guy who jumped out of a plane and crash landed into the ocean, even he was saying, you know what, I'm still going to try to give this a go. And I think that's very encouraging to hear. Yeah, for sure. Very... Uh, The will of the human spirit. Like, I think that's a very common thing amongst humanity to where we do just have... A lot of us have the resilience to kind of keep going when things get rough. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it does come out of nowhere. Like, 
a lot of times when you get to a point, I think everyone experiences, maybe not to this degree, but points in their life where they feel like, oh, I have no idea how I'm going to make it through this. And then somehow you do. And right. yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, call it what you want. Call it God, you know, spirits, your own determination, or just... Yeah, I, I'm not giving God credit for that, okay? That, but that's me. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I decided to do this. I mean, I think I think there's something, which I've talked about in therapy, um, something a little bit more spiritual about my will to keep going. And when times have been really dark in my life, I have like a light that I hold on to. And I don't know if that's just the embodiment of hope or something else watching out for me, but it's I think me. ultimately it's still... <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we know my reason for living is Bailey Workman. So he's out here in the middle of the ocean, right? He's on his back, and he notices that now it's nighttime. And I think there is nothing more terrifying than being in the open water, vulnerable. You're wearing just shorts. You are so vulnerable. And he kept saying that. I, this is the most vulnerable I've ever felt in my right. entire life, obviously. It's dark. He's in the water. It's getting cold. Like, this is just some of the worst Yeah, and you think about there's, like, conditions. no cities nearby or, or anything. When you're out in the open ocean, there's no light pollution. So it's just the only light you have is, like, the stars yeah. and the moon, if, they're, if you can even see them. Right. And so he doesn't know how long he was laying there, but... He said he did see like six, five or six lights just off in the distance. So he just starts swimming for them and trying to like backstroke to them, backstroke, backstroke, backstroke. But he is getting extremely exhausted. And he's been out there for like five or nine hours, so it seems. Um, he's been swallowing a whole bunch of seawater. And, you know, seawater will dehydrate you so quickly because the water content of seawater doesn't mean anything it's, it's salt, so filled mostly. with salt yeah so just imagine eating just salt for a whole day and that's, then swimming a marathon yeah and that's something a marathon um he's tired this is why i would have this is where he and i differ because i would have just been stayed calling to the sharks because i know my physical capabilities okay <laughs> i would not i can't i don't i'm not confident i can do a single backstroke See, but here's the thing. You're so light. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think you can sink. So I just I float think along like really, that. Yeah. You'd just be like a piece of driftwood just eventually hitting something. They'd be like, oh my God, look at this. Or maybe you'd have this cool moment where you'd look up at the moon and the moon would choose you and then you'd turn into a mermaid. I don't think that happens. Bailey, it has to happen. Let real. it happen. You're not real. <laughs> So, back to Will. Will sees these lights. He's exhausted. The water is about 45 degrees. And I don't know if you've ever sat in 45 degree water, but if you've ever decided to go swimming on a cold day and you realize it's not as great as you thought it was, that's what it's like. So, he's just floating there, hopeless, right? Trying to hold on to maybe the small hope that he saw these lights. And then something happens. He runs into a school of jellyfish. And 
the jellyfish are stinging him. Jellyfish have these like little tiny needle-like features on them that kind of stick to you and then it makes you bleed and obviously I don't know if you ever put salt on a wound but that's a saying salt water all around your wounds it burns and he said he was in excruciating pain oh this is giving me like full body tingles I hate it well congratulations Bailey because I just sent you a whole pack of jellyfish (laughs) he was stung so many times Right. And he's like, okay, well, now, now that I've been attacked, I I feel even more vulnerable. And I, you know, there could be something else out there. And now he's bleeding. Yeah. Now he's bleeding. And, you know, sharks can smell blood from miles away. So he sees something dark in the dark approaching him from what he can see. And he's like, it could be a shark, but it's way too long for a turtle. And he said, I I don't really know why I thought this, but it must be a saltwater crocodile. And he said he knows that would be odd, but, and he didn't know how far out a saltwater crocodile might come, but it matched the length and it was floating right to him. And it was getting so close, but it was a piece of driftwood. It was a log. So one of the best case scenarios out here, he's got something to hold on to. He can chill out for a little bit on this log. So Wait, I really need a Dr. Pepper. I'm so sorry. I'm going to be right back. I'm sorry. I need some caffeine. You disgust me. You know what? While she's not here, she doesn't know what I'm going to say. Bailey, get a Dr. Pepper. Bailey, get a little bubbly. Bailey. She got a Dr. Pepper, now she's coming into frame. Uh. Ew, you nasty little creep. Okay, so he he has the driftwood now. He's got the driftwood. He's got his Bailey. So there is... the Okay, so the ground correspondent lady, she was like, obviously nobody ever showed up, so she's getting worried. She's calling around places. There is eventually... Oh, so this is the person that, like, waits... Yeah. ...where they're supposed to land when they go skydiving. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they never came in. None of them. And so the skydive team back in, I think, California hears of the missing plane and the team and tries to collect as much info as they can, but what really can you do? So they start calling fishing boats and some other boats in Costa Rica and just saying like hey can you go look for some people (laughs) like I don't know how you start that conversation really but that's really about how it goes so it's daytime now and Will is very confused because he didn't remember falling asleep and he has a little bit of hope because of the sun right it's a little bit out and he sees a beach it's a it's a little ways out But he's like, okay, I really think I can get to this. Except the tides are pushing him in the opposite direction. No. Yeah. So a team is also looking for him, but they're looking in the wrong place. No one knows where he is. He doesn't know where he is. He's trying for what seems to be quite a few hours. So imagine from daylight till about noon trying to swim to the beach with his log 
And he has this realization, I don't think I can get to the beach with this log too. Because it's slowing his momentum down. Mm -hmm. It's keeping him just there in one spot. So he eventually makes the really, I mean, and he tries, he tries to make the hard decision to let it go. And he keeps kind of letting go of it, swimming a little bit of ways, then coming back because he's also really tired. And he's thinking, if I let this go, what if this is my my detriment, right? What if this is what kills me is because I let go of this log. Right, because if he doesn't make it to the island, he could just sink from exhaustion. Yeah, and it's quite a ways out. So he finally decides to just let go and starts trying to swim the best that he can, but he's dehydrated he's been swallowing seawater he's got very low energy and he just can't figure it out so he's just on his back now and when you're really dehydrated and when you're close to death you start hallucinating a lot and he's seeing a shark that he thinks but no it's not a shark he sees people but no there's not actually people there and he's having all kinds of visions of his friends and parachutes and it's just not it's not working out and Yeah, so he's hallucinating like crazy, and he's finally accepted, like, this sucks that I am so close to the beach, but I really think this is it. Like, I'm, I'm gonna die, and, you know, hopefully someone rescues me in time, or something comes and ends me quicker, and he said he just felt so alone and so isolated and he would see planes overhead sometimes, and it it hurt to f- to see people and feel so close and be so comforted at the fact that someone was sort of around, but they're way up in the air, right? They can't see him, so he would try to wave every once in a while, but he just kind of started to give up. And he starts speaking out loud and saying goodbye to his loved ones. And then he thinks he sees a boat, and he's kind of looking up over the water and he is yelling the little bit that he can and waving but he can't really do much because he's literally about to die so he just kind of hopes that the boat heard him and he just waits there right and then the boat comes up to him and pulls him up into the boat and he you know, he's still really delirious, and he eventually they take him to land, and he spent five days in the hospital recovering, and unfortunately, he's the only survivor of that crash. So his three best friends and the pilot and anybody else who was on that plane all passed away. And you still want to go skydiving? Yep, yeah, kind of. Isn't that crazy? I won't go in. I'm a little afraid of the ocean, but I still want to go skydiving. Okay. What does that mean? He spent five days recovering. Everybody's very happy that he's alive. He's happy that he's alive. And he has since probably done about 2,000 jumps. No. He still kept going skydiving? Yep. Now, here's the thing. I can't remember if he said 2,000 or 200. Either way. 2,000 feels like a lot. But then 2,000 feels like a lot, but I feel like that's what he said. Um, but he's still skydiving. He's like, look, I almost died in the ocean, but skydiving never scared me. And it's sad because the way he talked about his friends, he spoke 
like so highly of them and how they were such like sweet souls and uh, it's just so sad but that really confirms some of the you know fears of why people are afraid of the ocean right drowning predators it's i get it i do i get it because i I have it i think people think about sharks a lot but jellyfish are fucking scary too uh yeah they are and i i'm definitely really afraid of jellyfish because i whenever i used to go swimming in florida when i was a kid if a shark swam by us because there are like little sharks that come near the shore and my parents would always just say oh you're fine don't worry just don't bug them they won't bug you and I kind of got used to them and they didn't bug me that much but what I was really afraid of was stepping on a stingray because they bury themselves in the sand Mm. or a jellyfish because you get like tangled with one of those Mm and ugh it and some of them are so more poisonous than the others. And <sighs> also, don't pee on somebody who gets a jellyfish sting. It does nothing. It, really? We... Yes, research has now shown that that does literally nothing. But yeah, that is the story of Will, who almost died in the ocean. And it was about 24 hours long ordeal. Wow. I know. I bet that 24 hours felt like an eternity probably right yeah and and like you have no concept of time really because he's he's like so sick and delirious and in and out of consciousness i'm sure it felt like forever out there but bailey i hear (laughs) that you landed on a good story and i'm telling you this sounds like a crazy one yeah i just gave you like a little tiny bit of information um because i didn't want to spoil anything for you but I am doing the story of Deborah Kylie and Brad Kavanaugh. Um, and for the sources, I also used an episode of I Shouldn't Be Alive <laughs> um, titled Shark Attack Survival Story, spoiler alert, um, Popular Mechanics article by Avery Thompson, and then an article from the college paper of the University of Texas at Arlington by Sherry Woodroska Neves. And an expert, an expert, <laughs> and an excerpt from Deborah Kylie's book, which is called No Victims, Only Survivors 10 Lessons for Survival. Okay, so our story begins it's 1982, and a crew is delivering the 58 foot luxury yacht named Trash Man <laughs> from Maine. <laughs> What kind of luxury yacht is that? I love it. I love the juxtaposition of a luxury yacht and then the name Trash Man. The captain is a raccoon. God, I wish the story would be much cuter if that were the case. So, they're delivering this yacht named Trash Man from Maine, 1,300 miles down to Fort Lauderdale. Um, And they're delivering it to its new owner, who made his billions in the waste management industry. Okay. Which makes sense. But I kind of wish I didn't know. I I just love the idea. This is a luxury boat <laughs> named Trasha. The most experienced sailor on the crew is Deborah Scaling Kylie. Um, she's a self-described adrenaline junkie who spent the majority of her life sailing as a crew member in 
various parts all over the world. She was a super talented sailor, and she was actually the first American woman to compete in the Whitbread Round the World race, which was a, like a pretty big deal. Um, so she sailed like both professionally and competitively. Well, she Deborah is a total badass, like incredible person. Um, so she was hired by skipper John Lippeth. And so they had never, none of the people on this crew had ever sailed with each other before. And she said that the first thing that she noticed about John was that he liked to celebrate everything with a drink. And that made her like a little nervous, but he had a really impressive resume. Um, so she signed on and it was supposed to be like a pretty easy sale anyway. So John had brought his girlfriend, Meg Mooney, along for the trip. Now Meg wasn't a sailor and she didn't really have any experience on the sea or like with boats. Um, she was more looking at it as just like a fun trip on the water in the sun, hanging out with her boyfriend, John. And there's another crew member named Brad Cavanaugh. So he was the youngest crew member, but he was one of the better sailors. He was a competent sailor, but not as experienced as Debbie. Okay. So shortly into the journey in Annapolis, they pick up their final crew member named Mark Adams. And so we have Debbie, John, John's girlfriend, Meg, um, Brad, and Mark. Those are the five people on our boat. So the journey starts out pretty smooth, but Debbie does start to pick up on some things that concern her. Um, so John, the skipper, who's like the head of the crew, he keeps finding reasons to go below deck and Debbie starts to realize that she's pretty sure he's afraid of the ocean, which is exactly the quality you look for what? in a captain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a what a career choice. I guess like I kudos for facing your fear, but also like maybe get off the boat. <laughs> yeah, maybe just don't do it. Maybe teach about sailing. There you go. Yes. Yeah, but um he, I don't know, maybe it was a very complex relationship of mm. love and fear between the John sea. and the sea yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and his lady, the sea. Okay, so both John and Mark are like continuously drinking too. They're, they're like hammered. Uh, so Debbie and Brad, basically being the only competent people on board, become fast friends. Debbie says that Brad was super easy to like. He was just a warm, friendly guy who loved the sea. Uh, like little romance? Maybe. No. Oh. They're both interviewed. Um, and the, In the docuseries, they're both interviewed. And it just seems like they had like instant chemistry of of like two really good friends like you and me i hope she's like an amazonian lesbian no <laughs> i just want her I, what i'm picturing is like a cool badass pirate woman i know it's she kind of her. is oh okay she, i mean she's she's definitely a cool badass um so debbie and brad bond over the fact that they're the only people who know what they're doing <laughs> and um they the crew over the first night they work in teams so john and mark work together while debbie and brad sleep for four hours and then they switch so during the second night at sea a storm starts brewing 
And over the course of a few hours, it picks up a lot of momentum and it starts getting really nasty. Debbie describes sailing through the waves as feeling like being on a roller coaster or an elevator when it drops. So these were huge waves. Um, and which is great for the crew, John and Mark are still really drunk. <laughs> they oh haven't God. stopped drinking. So the sh- meanwhile, as the ship is being tossed around by these huge waves, Meg slips and falls. <gasps> and it's a pretty bad fall. She immediately starts bruising, like around her kidneys. Um, oh and she's like, yeah, she's just crying. She's in a lot of pain and she desperately wants off the boat. Um, so John being her boyfriend, um, goes to look for his navigational chart to find a place nearby where they can go to shore, but he realized he forgot it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, I mean, like, come on, John. (laughs) I know, you had literally one job. Yeah, uh, and it is like the, the skipper, it's the person who's in charge of the boat, it's their job to have these things, and he just didn't bring them. Um... So Debbie's pretty frustrated because she's like, oh my God, I have these two guys on the ship who are basically dead weight. I have this injured woman. And she's a prof- she's a seasoned professional, so she's not a fan of this bullshit. Um, but John radios the Coast Guard um, to see if they can tell him where to go to get to shore. And the Coast Guard advises him to go to port in North Carolina, which they're nearby. Um, but when they get close to the coast the waves get super, super violent, and they actually rip the sails off the yacht. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) So John tries the engine, but it's not working either. Great. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Which So that means that, just like how um, in your car, if you, like, if the engine is not working, the pow- like you can lose power in your car, right? Because the engine, like driving your car, right. and you have to the switch battery. to the sails in your car. Exactly, but they've been ripped off, so that means that they're going to lose power soon without their engine, and thus their ability to communicate via their radio. Ooh. Yeah, so they're in a pretty bad spot. So um, John decides that he needs to radio for rescue at this point. Which the other crew members aren't thrilled about. Uh, there's this like big idea among sailors that you should be self-reliant uh, and you shouldn't, like it's kind of a little bit embarrassing to need to get rescued. <laughs> I guess, but like boo-hoo. Like, you're I know. Too bad. Uh, this, in my opinion, is like the one thing that John does right <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Is, being, is just admitting that they're out of their depth here and they need someone to come get them. Also, I would not like, have it's expected not, that from him. It's not their fault that the storm is so bad that it is basically destroying their boat, you know. Right. They're like, I mean, I guess we like should have just weathered the storm. Like, I guess we'll have to call. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Debbie said that she never... So at this point, you know, she's a very well-established sailor who has been doing it for years and years. And she said that she'd never before been on a boat that needed to call for assistance. Mm. Um so between like having half a crew that's not great at sailing or too drunk to be great at sailing and this horrible, horrible storm, it just creates a situation that she's never seen before. So um, the Coast Guard finds that, that there are two nearby merchant ships 
um, and they direct them to head towards the trash man. <laughs> that name is like it's so hard to stay serious. Um, but they direct Come and pick the, up the trash. <laughs> kind of take the trash to the shore. Um, so they, the Coast Guard asks the two merchant ships to head towards the trash man to rescue them. Now, Debbie says that knowing rescues on the way actually gave them a false sense of security, which she thinks was like a kiss of death for oh. them. So at this point, everyone is super exhausted. They've been fighting this storm. They've been above deck trying to get the boat steady while being pelted with this rain and wind. They've been attending to Meg, who's super injured. They're bitching at each other because... You know, they disagree on the best course of action and half of them are drunk and it's just been an utterly exhausting night so far. And they're they're like wasted physically. So she and Brad decide help is on the way, they're gonna head back to the bunks and try to get a little rest. Um and Mark and John stay above deck, and then as Debbie's laying down to try to get some rest she hears mark like drinking and like yelling at the storm just like whooping like yeah woo woo like he's having the time of his life in this absolute nightmare scenario oh my god that's so annoying <laughs> i know i know men are the worst <laughs> um so she thinks about like going up and trying to help or like calm him down. Um, but she decides, you know what, help is almost here. It's not my problem. I really need to rest so I can actually be useful. So she and Brad settle into their respective bunks and try to just regain some strength. But while they're resting, this huge wave crests underneath the boat and breaks and when the wave breaks it just drops the boat they're free falling in the air and they impact the water and when they hit the surface of the water it just rips holes in the boat it breaks windows and the water just starts rushing in and the boat begins to flood see and that's scary too about the ocean it has these waves sometimes I know. that can capsize freaking gigantic boats so yeah this is almost not... a 60 foot yacht like it's not a freighter but it's a it's a good sized boat you know oh my gosh um love so... the waves from afar though <laughs> I like to look at them, but yeah, I definitely don't want to be hit by them. Oh my gosh, one time when I was swimming in the ocean, I actually did get injured because of the waves. So um, I loved, you know, they weren't waves like this, but I love to like catch a big wave and just like get swept up in it and let it take me all the way to shore. I would just kind of like right. suspend myself in the wave. Well, this. The ocean got like really rough all of a sudden when I was a kid and I was swimming in it and I had like I was letting myself like ride this wave but then the waves started coming faster and faster and I kept getting pulled under repeatedly <sighs> so I would like get some breath and I was like a preteen I was like pretty young I would get some breath and then just get sucked under and then when I finally did get closer to the shore 
the wave like crashed me so hard into the ground that I got all scraped up in like shells and oh like debris in the sea. I know. It's scary. So, like, <laughs> yeah. So if that was scary, I can't imagine waves that are so big they can rip holes through a boat. <laughs> right. Like I love a wave pool. Like a little right. a little motion. But you know it's like 85% just pee. Well. <laughs> I have contributed to that 85%. Ew! <laughs> Sometimes you gotta go, Bailey. Okay, but like you're... At- I've always been afraid, and it's never happened to me, that the one time... I used to pee in the pool a lot when I was a kid. Now I'll just hold it and leave because I'm a respectable adult. But I... Which, one good thing about the ocean, you can just go. That's wonderful. Um, I, I've always been afraid of those chemicals that they put in a pool that'll turn a certain color if there is urine. And I, so, okay, are those real? Because I think they were I maybe just something know. that people told us about when we were kids to get us to stop peeing in the pool. Maybe. I don't know. Because sometimes I would, like, test it. I'd, like, pee a little and then, like, look. Oh, my God. And then I would, like, I, pee and, like, swim really fast so it would, like, not be near me. So the boat starts to sink super rapidly. And John calls a mayday on the radio and um, while the rest of the crew scrambles to go for the life-saving equipment. So Mark goes to the life raft and survival kit. They're like in this pressurized canister on the boat. So he's wrestling with that, trying to get that out, while Brad goes to this the dinghy on the boat, which is a 13-foot inflatable uh, boat named the Zodiac. Dinghy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, I have to say dinghy a lot, so like, get your giggles out. <laughs> dinghy. Oh my god. Stupid. Oh my god. Are you done? Do you feel better? Yeah. Okay. So, it's a 13 foot inflatable boat named the Zodiac. He pushes the dinghy off the boat and um, kicks off his sea boots so he can be more agile and and keep a hold of it. And he said that, um, Brad said that his first thought was about how his dad would be mad at him for losing his sea boots. And then immediately... Are there a special kind of boots for seas? Yeah, there's like boots for sailors. Oh, sea legs, sea boots. Any relation? Nope. Okay. Um, and so he said that his, Brad said that his first thought was about how his dad would be mad that he lost his boots. And then his second thought was about how sad his mom would be that he died at sea. Oh God. I know that just broke my heart when I heard him say that. Um, so he's got the dinghy out of the boat and Mark, meanwhile, gets the life raft out of the boat. Um, and so it's in the ocean. The, the life raft um, also has the survival kit in it. And Mark loses his grip on the raft and it gets carried away. Uh. Along with it, everything that they had to survive. It had food, it had fish hooks, it had flares, it had a GPS tracker so that people could find them, it had means to communicate. It had everything. And it's, they just watch it float away. 
everyone then heads towards the dinghy um with that being like the only thing they've got left is just it has nothing in it it's just a 13 foot inflatable boat <laughs> so they all head towards that to grab a hold of it and they look back and see that meg is still stuck in the rigging of the trashman so it's going down super fast and she's completely tangled up and she can't get out so debbie goes and rescues her and manages to untangle her um, and brings her back to the dinghy and they all grab a hold to the sides and then they all look back and just watch the last little bit of the mast slip beneath the water. Uh. And Debbie said that it was the most devastatingly lonely feeling she'd ever felt. It's kind of like we were talking about, just they're all alone now. Yeah, there's the like there's ocean. nothing around. And they just watched their boat Sink. disappear. Um, they got their dinghy. But they have the dinghy. So the dinghy is overturned. Um, and it has like places for you to hold on to on the sides. So they're all holding on to the sides of it. Um, and they, because if they, since now they're soaked and the weather is shit. So if they were in the open air, it they would get really, really cold really fast. So they stay in the water to help preserve their warmth. So they, they hang on to the sides of the dinghy overnight. Um, and then the next day, the weather is calmer, but it's still cold. It's about 40 degrees. Ooh. Yeah. So they know that they could get hypothermia um, if they don't do something quick. So they all decide to crawl underneath the dinghy to shelter themselves from the wind. And the water's still really cold. So what they manage to do is there's like a, a bit of rope across the dinghy and they all stack themselves one on top of the other they say like fire logs and hold on to that rope so that they kind of suspend themselves a bit out of the water mm. and then they're all sharing their body heat um but with all those people crammed underneath this 13 foot boat all one on top of the other with just this very limited airspace, the air gets really really thick and john starts having chest pains and he thinks he's having a heart attack. <laughs> um, and Debbie is sure that he's just hyperventilating because the air underneath there is so thick and it, everyone's claustrophobic, everyone's so close. So they decide to flip it over and climb inside. So Meg is having trouble getting inside the boat. And when they lift her in, they realize that she has cuts almost to the bone from the wire rigging that oh. she got tangled up in as the boat was sinking. Mm. And she's bleeding profusely. But I mean, they don't have anything. There's nothing they can really do. And right. so they all get into the boat and it's um, mm. super cold in the wind. So Debbie and Mark decide um, to warm up in the water. So they get back in the water and are hanging onto the, the like handholds on the side of the boat. And Mark, and Debbie's already irritated with Mark because he did a shit job on the ship. He was drinking and screaming when she was trying to sleep. He's basically been useless to her so far. He let the lifeboat go. Um, and then he starts telling her, stop kicking me. 
And she's like, I'm not kicking you, dude. What are you talking about? And he's like, and he keeps saying over and over, he's like, Debbie, seriously, stop kicking me. She's like, you know what? I'm going to look under the water. I'm going to see exactly where your legs are so that I can move as far as possible from you so you'll know I'm not fucking kicking you. So she looks down and she sees a bunch of torpedo-like figures moving beneath them. And she's like, oh, fish. And then one comes really close to her and it is a shark. Yeah. So she gets up, she starts screaming, Mark and her scramble inside of the boat. And as they get in, all of a sudden, dozens of fins pop up no. around the boat. And they are absolutely surrounded. And remember, they have Meg there who's profusely bleeding. Right. And um, so then they realize, you know, the dinghy is just like this plastic boat and they, they need to, or rubber boat, they need to stabilize it. And there's a piece of plywood in the dinghy. So they decide they're going to make an anchor out of that to try to stabilize the boat so that it doesn't capsize um, and t- pitch them all into the shark infested waters. So they tie a piece of rope around this plywood, but when they throw it into the water, a shark catches it in its mouth and starts dragging them wildly oh through the water. God. This is like a big shark. It's big enough to to drag five people on this boat through the water. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's just this like it doesn't even feel real at this point. No, it feels like a movie. Like Yeah. Oh my god. But it like I I don't know how you reconcile with the fact of like this being something that's really happening to you. <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe just like a minute by minute you're like I just got to do what I have to do. Yeah. So eventually the shark does let them go. Uh but they're still surrounded. And uh so they, they get a little sleep that night, and then we're on. So that was their their uh, second day at sea. So they, we had the night that they sank, and then now we're on to day three. Okay. So they're three days without food and water, and the group starts getting pretty tense, and it seems like they might turn on each other. So Debbie kind of pulls Brad aside as much as aside you can be when you're sharing a boat and they make a pact to look out for one another which like yeah that's the best ally either of them could have right the only person who has demonstrated any seaworthiness who isn't also like near death um so they decide you know if someone if if we turn on each other you and i we're gonna watch out for each other okay this is really gross so like just a little warning this is really gross. So at this point, they've been out there for like three days. The bottom of the dinghy is filled with urine and blood oh. and pus. Oh. So they're just sitting in that. Ew. And because of that, everyone starts getting staph infections. Oh, God. Because, like, they all are, like, kind of cut up. And, I mean, especially Meg, right? But they all have, like, at least some, like, scrapes and stuff. And so from the bacteria, they all start getting staph infections. And because Meg has these, like, huge lacerations, she gets blood poisoning from the bacteria. So she's really sick. And 
during that night, everyone starts getting like kind of delirious because they're sick. They've been without water. They've been without food. They've been through what I can only imagine is the most terrifying and surreal experience. Yeah. Any of them have ever been through. Someone to go through. through. Yeah. So Debbie and Brad wake up at one point during the night and they see that Mark and John are drinking seawater. <laughs> which we know they're just gulping it's it down. not a good idea. It's not a good idea. Brad says like, that's the one thing they tell you not to do from the time you're a child. Right. And it dehydrates you super rapidly. Uh, it can get to the point where it shuts down your kidneys uh, and it can cause hallucinations and even death. And they're just gulping it down. Hmm. So the next day, it's day four at sea. Oh, so they made it through another day. They made it through the night. We're on to day four. The sun comes up. Because they drank a shit ton of seawater, Mark and John start really hallucinating. All day, they keep insisting that they see land. And they'll be like, oh my God, there's an island. I can see it right there. There's land. And Debbie and Brad look, and there's nothing there. And they keep telling them, there's nothing there, guys. There's no land. Stop it. There's nothing there. We're not going to swim towards that because there's nothing there. And they have the same argument over and over for like hours. And all of a sudden, John just jumps off the side of the boat. Oh, (laughs) bye, John. (laughs) To head towards this land that does not exist. And sometimes it's like people just should go you know it's like the (laughs) ones who are making these decisions yeah i mean john was not helpful (laughs) up to this point but also like meg is his girlfriend and she's really ill and he just leaves her i'm feeling they weren't that close i mean you have to also keep in mind that he's severely hallucinating. He is oh, true. He's not in his he right mind. He was just gulping down seawater. And he, he thinks he's swimming towards land. And everyone like begs him to get back on the boat, but they're all so sick and dehydrated and hungry and exhausted at this point that like no one can physically get up to stop him. And they hear this shrill loud blood curdling scream and then silence oh because the sharks eat him i yeah and meg just says he's gone <laughs> i mean <sighs> you know at that point, I might jump too. <laughs> you know, it's just, I I would probably be like, I don't know how I'm psychologically going to get through this. <laughs> like, I want to give sharks the benefit of the doubt. I'm a very big advocate for the, for sharks, but you know, they are just animals and they're... Right, they're just, sharks are going to be sharks, right? This isn't sharks being evil. <laughs> right, they're, they're you're hungry. In their, you're in their zone. That's their home, right? And you are food. So... They're going to be It could be the same of like being in a forest and, you know, being lost in a forest and there's a mountain lion, you know, the mountain lion's not evil. It's its place and your food. Yeah. Ugh. 
And this part's really sad because Brad, he talks, and keep in mind, like Brad's pretty young at this point too, and he talks about how he'd been fantasizing about them being rescued and him being a hero for surviving and also a hero for the entire crew surviving and him being helpful as a part of that. And he says, but what I did that day was not heroic. What I did, which was nothing. I sat by and I watched sharks eat my crewmate. Oh, I really thought you were about to be like, yeah, you know, what I did next, I threw Meg overboard just like yeah. she... But, okay. but like, it's just he, he clearly feels really guilty about it. And I just wish I could be like, oh, you sweet yeah. little baby. Like, you, you could, what could you have done? Right. You and that's a big really thing. Sick. Survivor's guilt. Yeah. And you could just tell the way he talks about it. Like, he feels almost, it seems like he feels ashamed. But there's nothing he could have done. No. You know, John was a grown man. Even if Brad could get up and go get him, like all of that would probably end up happening is that he would have been attacked too. And, you know, it's not his fault. Um, so Meg is like crying, but she's like too tired and too sick to be hysterical, but she's just kind of softly crying. Uh, and this is so icky, but Mark is so out of it at this point that he starts hitting on Meg. <laughs> and... Yeah. He's like, hey, now that John's gone, you and I should have sex. <laughs> Which one thing that's always on the brain, I guess it stays. I like I I know he's out of it. But come on, dude. Not the time. Right, really not the time. You should have done that back on the boat. Like it. <laughs> Or, like, just leave her alone. Also, like... She's also dying and has blood poisoning pus and blood, and that's who you're going to go for? She's dying. You're sitting in, like, everyone's, like, stew of filth in a boat with two other people. Like, I know that you're ill, but, I mean, come on. Um, And she just kind of, like, shrugs him off and, like, is obviously not into it, right? Because... You, no one would be. You will. And yeah. uh, after she rebuffs him, he's like, you know what, guys? I'm going to go stretch my legs. I'm going to go get some cigarettes. Because he thinks he sees land with a gas station. And they're like, <laughs> no, Mark, you cannot go get cigarettes because nothing exists over there. Like, there's nothing there. Just, just sit down. <laughs> Shut up. And he's like, no, guys, it's fine. I'm just going to go down the road. I'll, I'll be right back. I'm just going to stretch my legs. And he gets into uh-uh. the water. No. And he holds on to the side of the boat. And Debbie is like, Mark, get in the boat. We just watched John die. Get in the boat. And he's like, no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. I'm just stretching my legs. What um, legs, John? What legs? Yeah, basically. Because... The sharks attack him. Oh my god. And they eat him under the boat. So they feel it. The people on the boat feel Uh, it. That's Um, a feeling you don't feel every day. It's just unimaginable. And so the sharks... 
know that there there's more food on the boat so they start trying to tip the boat over to get the other people and they just keep ramming the boat uh, like underneath it and the sides of it over and over and debbie says it feels like it lasted for hours of these sharks just trying to tip them and eat them um but eventually they give up they stay around the boat but they stop ramming it Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. what else would you expect them to do, right? There's, You've got blood just pouring it's, out all over this boat. So. I know. So, yeah, exactly. It's not it's not the shark's fault. But it's also just like, it's just... How, how, how? How do you experience the, like, this happened the same goddamn day. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Like... How do you experience all of that and then just go back to your life? This is just an avalanche of nightmares. <laughs> like, it's it's so many worst case scenarios at one time that it's almost unbelievable. I, at one point when I like first found this story, I looked it up at like five different sources just to make sure it was real. <laughs> so that night, Meg starts just moaning and she's snapped basically because of everything that she experienced that day she's also super sick and she attacks brad oh god but brad and debbie are able to fend her off because she's just this little woman and she's hella weak because she has blood poisoning and is injured and really sick and they fend her off and she just sinks back against the side of the boat And Debbie says that she starts moving her hands. She says, like a Spanish dancer, but basically she just starts like fluttering her fingers and like weaving her hands in front of her, looking at something that isn't there. And then she starts speaking in this like weird gibberish. And Debbie says that she's speaking in tongues. Um, Debbie's pretty religious, so that's how she interpreted it. And Debbie knows that Meg's dying. Or she's possessed. Um, Maybe so. But at at this point, they're also, like, they're also exhausted. And and what can they do for her, you know? So Debbie and Brad both fall asleep. Oh. But the next day when they wake up, Meg's dead at the bottom of the boat. So, Brad and Debbie decide that they're going to take off her clothes and her jewelry to give them to her family. And Brad looks at Debbie and is like, should we, should we eat her? Oh, I was thinking, should we throw her over? (laughs) Which like, okay, they've been, this is day five, okay? They're, they're exhausted. They're starving. There's been brief periods of rain, um, but they, the wind is so strong that they haven't even been able to like catch any in their mouths. So they're not in their right mind. And they've also like, there have been cases of cannibalism at sea. Yes. And they don't know how they're going to survive. And Brad is just like, I mean, like, like, should we? I know, but all she's, she's like got blood poison right and debbie's like don't be ridiculous brad we shouldn't eat her she's too infected (laughs) oh good account on the women so yeah like 
Um, but I also like I don't love. That's a really bad choice of words. I it's like kind of darkly funny that it's not like we can't eat her. She's a person. It's like we can't eat her. She's she's icky. Right. We can't <laughs> eat her. She's gross. Um. So yeah, they take her clothes and her jewelry, and Debbie tells this part of the story where like Brad was trying to take her ring off. Um. And he's like, I can't get it off. I can't get it off. And Debbie's so irritated. She's like, just take the fucking ring off, Brad. She, it's not It's not going to hurt her. It's not going to do anything to her at this point. Um, and so he, like, pries the ring off her finger. And they lay her naked body on the side of the dinghy. They say the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 and push her overboard. And then they... Oh, I'm getting like a little emotional. It's really sad. They go back to sleep so that they don't have to hear the sharks eat her. Oh, I'm sad. So they just they just let themselves like slip into that. But on the positive side, she became the first megalodon. <laughs> Get it? Meg. Megalodon. Something to lighten the mood there. I no. <laughs> please. That's funny. It's um and Brad says later that he's like, yeah, you could say it was because she was sick or like, you know, the dehydration and the injuries. But he says, I think she could have hung on a little longer if John hadn't abandoned her. And Brad still has this like resentment towards John because he he thinks John's responsible. Now, I'm not so sure about that, but he thinks that when John left off the side of the boat and, and just left Meg as she's sick and injured with these strangers that kind of broke her will to live. Um, so they go to sleep and a few hours later, Brad wakes up and he just starts retching and Debbie's like, we need to clean this boat because, well, I'm going to gag. It's so gross. Cause what's in the boat is just nasty. <laughs> she's like, Debbie died in this. What? Stop. <laughs> so we have to clean the boat because it's going to make us sick and it's going to kill us um and brad's like i can't i can't do it like i'm too exhausted and debbie's like yes you can come out like we have to we've got to do this so and the sharks it, it seems like the sharks have actually left them alone like they don't see any right now so debbie's like this is our chance we, we need to do it now well while He's tipping the boat over, or like tipping the boat. Brad loses his grip and falls into the water. And he's too weak to pull himself back in. And Debbie just starts sobbing hysterically because she's like, I'm sorry, Brad, I killed you. Like, she thinks that she's like doomed him to death by insisting that he clean the boat and like and tip it to get the stuff out and and now he's in the water and she can't help him up and she's just sobbing and because in her mind she, he's like already dead and he's like debbie i'm right here like just help me get in the boat i'm right here i'm not dead stop crying stop it just like let me in the boat and she's help like he's gone yes he's it's almost like i can still hear his voice <laughs> uh but like you have to keep in mind they're they're pretty much yeah. out of their minds uh but, like, he's, like, 
he said that he was so mad at her because he's like, I am literally not dead. I am right here. Let me, help me, help me get in the boat. It reminds me of like Rose and Jack on the door. <laughs> right. It's like, there's just, I just can't do anything. Yeah, there was room. Okay. <laughs> there was room. Um, so he, I get, I think it's like the anger just like gives him that little boost. <laughs> His like fury to actually like force himself onto the boat and he gets back in. And he says that he's so mad at her, he can't even talk to her. Uh, and so, like, they're just sitting on opposite sides of the boat, not speaking to each other. And Debbie's still, like, hysterical. She and doesn't even know he's there. Brad's, Brad's so pissed. And then he looks over. And he sees a boat. <gasps> and it's really close. And he's like, Debbie, Debbie, there's a boat. And she's like, yeah, whatever. Because they'd hallucinated boats. They had seen a boat their first night, but it was way too far to see them. So she's like, there's no boat. And even if there was a boat, there's no way they're going to see us. And he's like, Debbie, I swear to God, Debbie, look over there. (laughs) Just look. (laughs) And... I feel like we've had conversations like this. Right. But it, this, that, like, we're not warranted by the stakes now. <laughs> no. Like, now looking back, I'm like, we probably should never, have, should never be mad at each other for any reason. <laughs> right. So, Debbie looks, and it's right there. The boat is right there. And it's this huge Russian freighter. And they start waving, and then someone comes out and waves back. And then more and more crew members come out. And they just wave and sail on by. And then they're like, okay, yeah, good to see you. Bye. (laughs) Oh, look, guys, other travelers. Bye. And the boat pulls up and they throw out their life raft. And Brad and Debbie, and like Brad's, it's kind of funny because Brad says Debbie just like immediately leaps off the dinghy to go for the life raft while he's like still, (laughs) he's still like in the dinghy trying to get out. And he's like, come on, Debbie. The way he says it is like, so sweet he goes he said i was thinking come on debbie don't leave your friend brad here (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile she's like gotta sit myself by anyway he gets off the boat they both get to the to the like it's like the that circle the life ring the ring of life or something like what they call it the lifesaver um yeah and they they hold on and the crew winches them in and brings them to safety and they're rescued after Five of the worst days of anybody's life ever. Wow. Good Um, Lord. I know. So Debbie said, so Debbie has unfortunately since passed away. Um, Not related to anything to do with with this. But in the the documentary where she was interviewed, she says, I'm here today and I don't feel guilty about it and I have no regrets. Uh, she said that that gave her a new appreciation for her life. Um, Brad said that he felt like he was stuck in survival mode for a long time. And he he seems like he has some some PTSD, which, like, who yeah. wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't? And... <laughs> He said, you can't, you don't, you don't just like get out of that. Like you don't get to safety and then like it feels safe all of a sudden. No. Which like as someone with PTSD, it's, it's totally true. You know, there are some things that like you just, that really affect your ability to feel safe. And I can't imagine 
ever feeling safe again after going through something like that. Right. And like I said, survivor's guilt is a real, real thing that I've yeah. read about with like a lot of shipwrecks or just people who survive crazy story. They feel like it shouldn't have been them. Yeah. But it's, Debbie is right. Like she, they all did what they had. They both, Brad and Debbie, did what they had to do to survive. And there's no reason to feel guilty about it. And there's no reason to have regrets because you you made it, okay? And you kept yourself alive. And I truly, truly think that there's literally nothing they could have done differently. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was a storm, you know? It, the storm they stormed can't control it all. The storm. They can't control, you know, the fact that the, that, Mark and John drank seawater. They could control that Meg got injured. Like, it was all... The only the only job they had was to try to keep themselves alive. And they did it. And they don't need to feel guilty. And, yeah. So, I hope... Brad, if you're listening... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know he's not. But I hope that wherever Brad is today, that he, he knows that, feel, that there's nothing yeah. to feel guilty about. Okay, so here's the last little bit that I thought was super weird. So remember that they had called a mayday from for the Coast Guard, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Coast Guard just never showed up. Right. So it turns out that the Coast Guard had called off the search after receiving a call that the trash man had made it safely to port in North Carolina. And no one to this day knows who made that call. What? Isn't that so weird That's and like creepy? spooky? I know. It was the sharks? But, the <laughs> sharks like fall. we're not missing this meal, okay? <laughs> that is the incredible and harrowing story of the survival of Deborah Kylie and Brad Kavanaugh. Wow, that one was rough I know it's so sad and scary at least for the humans it was those sharks living it up <laughs> it's a very different story in the shark podcast right yeah I it was one of those stories that as I was reading I was like no 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 <laughs> like not that no, not that. You're like, well, that's not going to happen. It happened. Exactly. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I, yeah. The fact that that the two of them continued on with their lives in any capacity after that is just an incredible testament to, like, what strong, badass people both of them were. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I don't know how you go on from something like that. And, but apparently people can. Yeah. Because again, once again, there's that like resiliency of the human spirit just trying to keep moving forward, which is very admirable, but also at some times just insane. I also think that their relationship with each other was so important to their survival. Debbie said that she does not know how she would have made it through without Brad. Yeah. So... Why do you no. think Tom Hanks had Wilson? Like people, people <laughs> need somebody else. Yeah, or something I need else. You. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on, I, I need you too. And you know why we need each other? Because it's a scary world out there. So hold on to the people you love. Mm-hmm.
Bye. Bye. I love you. I love you too. Shout out to the sharks.